Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. Start of a new year, 2023. Is the bull preparing to run? Is the bear tired? I think they probably are. I think they're ready. They're ready to go. Maybe not until the back end of this year. But who knows? Don't make price predictions. You don't need to, especially if you're dollar cost averaging. And if you are dollar cost averaging, you want the bear to be around for as long as possible. So, are you stacking? Swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Coin Corner across Europe and the UK. And Relay also across Europe and the UK. Swan are across the US, but are global if you want to be a Swan private customer. If you've got up to $100,000 to tie on in the 12-month period, reach out to me on DMs or directly to Corey Eclipston in his DMs. Probably better to me because Corey gets a lot more incoming than I do. These companies can help you set up your DCA plan, dollar cost average, FCA plan, fiat cost average. Uh, Relay have got some really cool things coming out at the beginning of this year. Coin Corner are releasing updates and new projects all of the time. We are so well served here now on this side of the pond. We have caught up to our American cousins and might even be kicking their asses in the land of Bitcoin. Once you've got these sats, if you've got sats already and you've not taken control of them, what are you doing? You've been here long enough. You should know better. Take control of them. Pull them off the exchanges. If you want to try CoinJoin service, take it slowly. Do your own research. Figure out what you want to do. There are certain companies out there that are offering these uh, services. The one I have become close with is Wasabi. WasabiWallet.io I've had Max Hillebrand on the show two or three times. I've always loved hanging out with Max and having very, very long discussions with him, either on the podcast or in person. You can download that desktop wallet. It's very easy. And then just hit a receive address after you've made your wallet and written down your words. You know what to do by now. And then just run some coins through there and see how the coin join works. Then the final step to this piece of the puzzle is a hardware wallet, a signing device. You can use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and then use the code bitten at checkout. You'll get 5% discount. But always check first. You might get more money off if they're running their own promotion. So double check. Follow all of these companies on Twitter and keep a close eye on what they're doing. Now, conferences, very important. 2023 is going to be a big year. Prague is going to be huge. You can get there early June. There's going to be a massive conference, some big speakers. Look out for the announcements. Hit the link in the show notes. Get your tickets because ticket prices go up the closer we get to the date. That's the way all of these conferences are running. You can use the code BITTEN at checkout. You'll get 10% off. Same with Miami. Miami is going to be in May this year, I believe. Just head over to the website. Use the code BITTEN. You will get 10% off those tickets. Check out Orange Pill app. Make sure you're joined. If not, 
Android comes soon. Enjoy this rip with Santos. All right, Santos. Great to have you on the show, man. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. All right, brother. Well, before we start talking all about education, and I've already got a big smile on my face because I know what you're building with Emeralize, uh, let's get up to speed on um, on who you are. You you know who who is this crazy pleb that uh, is is sitting in front of me right now? And actually, Lauren has come in to ask the first question. So before you answer that, that was an easy question. Uh, let's see what Lauren's got for you. Lauren, this is Santos. Hi. So, Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So uh, my question is, well, I heard that you made like um, an app or a website, or I don't know how to call it, but um, you you made this thing where teachers and students can sign up and well, teachers teach the kids and kids learn. So why is my question? Yeah, the reason why I made that application was because I personally am a student of online education between YouTube, Khan Academy, Coursera, edX, and reading uh, book ebooks online, audiobooks. And I feel like one, uh, it's a better learning system. It allows people to go at their own pace, whether it's really fast, moderate, or slow in a given particular subject. And once you create materials once, it can be reused, you know as many times as you would like, whereas like a teacher has to be somewhere like physical instructing over and over again, and the experience may vary. So those, those are like two reasons why I think it's like objectively a better way to learn. And the third reason is that I want parents and individuals to be able to self self direct and go at their, like in addition to going at their own pace, like determine what it is that they want to learn, because I think that's how you truly foster like a passionate learner that like learns the things that they actually want to learn and what they actually find useful. So that that's like the three top reasons why I, I built that application. Man, you, you like, you, uh, we're going to have a great conversation. Right, sound good to you, Lauren? Yeah. yeah very much if, like Kubrio. What you... Kubrio, if, if you found this instead, we might have gotten with this one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we need more. This is what we need. We need more private um, solutions to state education because state education has failed every single human being that's ever gone through it yeah. since its inception. All of us. A lot of people like to think that they like to thank their certificates uh, and believe that it was only their state education that got them the role that they're currently sat in today. It's completely untrue. Mm. Anyway, that, that, that's a deeper discussion. Say good night. <laughs> good night, and thank you for the question. <laughs> right. So, yeah, back to the original question: who, who, who are you, man? What, what's going on? Uh, what, um, what, what can you share with the plebs out there listening? Yeah. So, I'm someone that is entirely self-educated. I dropped out of school when I was 14. I just stopped going and then I officially like disenrolled when I was 16 because that's when you're like legally or uh, like legally allowed without, you know, truancy concerns. Um, yeah, it was at the time I was more interested in uh, private game server files as a part of this website, this forum where people were teaching like how to spin up your own game servers, uh, getting into the database 
uh, around the game server. And there was a few games that I was uh, kind of fascinated with in particular. And then I learned just enough PHP to like create my own little simple like registration scripts, which I created one for like MapleStory private servers back in the day. And uh, I just became fascinated with computers in general. And then I got into esports. Um, I played competitively in games like StarCraft II, World of Warcraft, uh, Counter-Strike Source, getting quite good and competing in tournaments. All the meanwhile, I'm going to like public education where I'm just bored out of my mind. Like, you know, obviously I'm like pretty advanced with computers at this stage and they're trying to teach me how to type on a keyboard is like the example that I like to use, which is a real example from like eighth grade. And uh, just grew up in like a rough neighborhood. I didn't really, you know, fit in very well with like a lot of the kids. There's a lot of violence in the schools. And um, I wasn't interested in what they were teaching me at the time. And they weren't going at the pace that I needed them to go at. So instead, I just stopped going and decided to focus on these other things, which taught me uh, very valuable things in life, actually, like communication, strategy, teamwork, and on and on. So that's kind of a bit about like my childhood and upbringing as a teenager, getting into like when my, my, my mom told me I had to get a job. I got a job, you know, working as a temp in a life insurance company. Fast forward, you know, I got a job at Discover Financial Services as an account manager in student loans. And this was like my first signal into like how messed up uh, the, the state education system is in addition to my own experience. I saw like all colleges, um, we're putting students in public universities as well. We're putting students in significant um, uh, burden. Like they're, they're giving them huge amounts of debt before they're even able to understand what the implications are. And they're fairly high interest rates. We're talking anywhere between like six and 10% on 10 to $20,000. And this was roughly a decade ago. Um, so I was originating these loans and talking to students. They were very excited. And it made me feel like I was doing a great thing. I had a good job, you know, I had decent benefits, decent pay. And then I, then we actually, as Discover Financial Services, we acquired city loans, which were servicing loans. So these were students that were in repayment at this time and uh, paying back their debt. And nearly every single person I spoke with was absolutely miserable. And this was like a key indication to me that colleges uh, were really out there to make money and to get people into massive amounts of debt. And I know there are federal student loans, we know all about those or some that are subsidized, but the subsidized loans even only cover the interest while someone's in school. So that was kind of like one of my first black bills into like the flawed education system between my own upbringing and working at Discover Financial Services. And then, then I got into a few other jobs. Um, I, I left to Discover Financial Loan, or I'm sorry, Discover Financial Student uh, services, the student loan department, went to Wells Fargo student loan department, same kind of thing. I did underwriting there. Uh, and then I moved on to Bank of America. This is now, we're in 2014 uh, at Bank of America. Mm. And I did uh, sale, preferred sales there. I did all kinds of like, I sold every type of account you could imagine, like deposits, credit cards, business accounts, referrals to mortgages. And I had a lot of fun. Like I thought I was doing a good thing as well. I was like helping people save money on debt through balance transfers and direct deposits. Then I got into the retention side, very similar to, to my student loans uh, story. I started talking to people that were now repaying this 0% interest debt after the period had expired. And that also gave, made me very depressed and made me realize, man, 
between auto loans, student loans, credit cards, et cetera, the system is kind of designed in a way to kind of trap you in debt. And there's so many pitfalls that you can fall into as a just normal pleb individual. Um, the system is really designed to get you there and then you're forced to like repay this debt back. So this is uh, 2015 now, I discovered Bitcoin. Um, my brother was telling me about it, very fortunate. He's telling me about Bitcoin Jesus, Andreas Antoninopoulos. And I went down the rabbit hole and then I, I realized, wow, there's actually an alternative payment system that is not controlled by any one individual. And uh, I quit my job in 2016 after that, uh, after kind of going deeper down the rabbit hole and took a bet on myself for self-education. Uh, then I taught myself computer programming, um, how to build applications with Python, PHP, uh, Django, uh, and so on and so forth until eventually 2019, I got a job at Amex as a credit risk analyst. I got married and I needed, like I had started a business and I needed to make a consistent uh, source of income. And then uh, fast forward, I got, a, I got promoted into a product role as a product owner uh, in 2020, where I, um, I did payments and product there. We did bank integrations, risk and compliance projects. And we're like the central database for like all corporate data. We, we had like 45 systems downstream and around 115 systems inbounds. So I learned payments extremely well and all the data around it, the inflow and outflow of data for that. Um, and then fortunately in 2021, I got a job at Zebedee. Uh, middle of June, and I, I joined a Bitcoin Lightning company, and I've been here since. I was the first product manager hire. I moved into the business lead of tech and product from there. That's kind of my my whole origin story. <laughs> kind of, a, kind of a dream job. Like a Bitcoiner gamer ends up working at a Lightning gaming kind of development company. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, like combining my esports experience and gaming experience, I'm, I'm, uh, I was a hardcore gamer that competed at top levels in each of the games that I listed earlier. Then, like my background in financial services and payments, it was just like a dream come true. I was like, wow, we can combine both of these, and uh, yeah, I love it. So you, you, this is all in the states, right? Uh, when, when you were growing up, is that correct? Yeah, in Phoenix, Arizona. I grew up in like one of the worst areas in Phoenix. Uh, it's called the Garfield Historic District. Okay. Um, and you mentioned like when, when you dropped out of school, uh, you, you were, I think there's a rule in, what's the truancy rule in, in the United States? That you, you mentioned that word truancy. And I, I did, the way I understand it is if you are reported or caught to be truant or playing truancy, like bunking off school, we would say in the UK, um, what, what, how does that work? What, what's the ramifications? Uh, your parent can actually like, be arrested from what I was told. I don't know the specific uh, rules around it, but we would get calls all the time from my school. <laughs> and uh, they would be essentially telling my mom, like leaving messages for my mom to take me into school. Uh, otherwise, there could be consequence, like consequences such as being like arrested or fine, take, taken to court, so on and so forth. But uh, fortunately, I don't think they really cared that much about, you know, students in my income area, my, my, uh, my, my um, lo like the location that we lived in. So I was kind of fortunate for that. So I didn't get wrapped up in, in more state education. It's just another classic example of this threat of violence that hangs over us in every single step of our lives, right? I mean, I know there is a lot of 
homeschooling in the US, but I've heard this story before where like this problem with truancy and you could be shopped in by your neighbors or friends and family even that you know yeah think that the parents are doing the wrong thing by the children and all of a sudden income the, the the guys and the girls in their social welfare costumes superhuman costumes to to do the best for the child it's for your safety we've got to take them away and or at least first of all fine you and then make you feel um, insignificant and a bad parent and force your child back into state education. This is not for the child's safety or health. This is to carry on the indoctrination. And this is the thing I really want people to understand. And it's such a huge problem. Um, so how long were you playing that game? About two years, did you say? Yeah, about two years. Like uh, I started getting into some some trouble, like probably when I was like 12, 13. And then I ended up uh, skipping eighth grade and going into high school. Uh, and then I did like uh, maybe like a year of like freshman uh, high school. And then I pretty much just stopped going after that. But it was always like a back and forth game. I would try to show up like once a week or and then eventually it just became like once every two weeks. And uh, it was like a small charter school that I ended up going to. So I don't think they... They would call us frequently and, you know, threaten, et cetera, uh, if I didn't return back to school. But fortunately, they never took any action on it. I don't know if it was just like under amount of resources or if they ultimately just stopped caring that I stopped going. Not sure. But totally agree with, with your point that um, I was learning quite a lot on the Internet. Uh, I was very tech savvy. You knew how to get books, movies, uh, documentaries. Um, yeah, there are tons of guides on like how to build. And you know, what's funny is I actually use like all of these skills now <laughs> in my current role. Um, so it was all like a precipice for like what I'm doing now and like pretty much like actively building and iterating on my dreams. You know what I mean? So um, it, it would have been quite sad if I would have been taken away from all of those things because now they've essentially landed me in the position that I'm in now. Without those things, I don't think I would have turned out this way. And it's interesting what you said as well about uh, noticing the um, the student debt problem that uh, you know you face at university age in uh, in the U.S. When you look um, at the endowment fund, they call it an endowment fund, not a hedge fund, uh, to get around some tax issues. At Harvard alone, is fifty billion, fifty billion dollars under management parading as an endowment fund, but actively working as a hedge fund to make investments in the market to grow that amount of money, yet still charging students 200 grand a year to come to the college makes absolutely no sense. Like, it, it clearly is a business. It's not about education, never was, never has been. And that's just one school. So if you were to look at all of the so-called Ivy Leagues and add up all of that cash, You've got enough cash there for free university education for hundreds of generations. Absolutely. And what's interesting too is like, as an example from Arizona, Arizona State University, they have ASU online, which is a um, pretty um, decent school to go to if you're considering college as an option. 
but they're a for-profit business. They merely license the, the ASU brand from the public university and the president of the university is the one that actually owns the ASU, well, it's a major shareholder in um, ASU Online that happens to license the brand for their for-profit college education. So they're actually two different uh, things, but they obfuscate it um, for some reason, which is kind of an interesting thing. And now I think with like education being able to be recorded uh, by those very best in the language and dialect they're teaching in and the subject matter that they're teaching in, regardless of uh, credentials, where you went, if you went to an Ivy League, if you didn't go to an Ivy League, uh, that's apparent by the content and the way that they teach the passion that comes through on the video. And you can spend money on a production team, you can, you can perfectly edit and optimize it for an online learning experience and go at whatever pace that you'd like as a student. And that was one of my first observations because I did attempt to go to community college, but then I realized I was like, this is way slower and I'm not getting a good experience. One of my teachers actually ended up going in and putting on like, it was a physics teacher. I was like putting literally an old VHS tape for the lessons and then not doing anything for the remainder of the class. And I'm like, I'm going to pay $300 per credit, uh, per credit hour for this when I can go online and learn from like the literal very best instructors for free, I'm not going to do it anymore. So then I actually left community college because of that experience and having that realization. And then uh, many, many of the things were also true for like ASU, uh, Arizona State University and University of Arizona, very, very, very similar. They're all just MOOCs and these MOOCs can be produced for a one-time cost uh, and investment and maybe um, individuals monitoring the forms and asking questions, but there's no way that these courses are worth $3,000. Really what you're paying for is a certificate or diploma, but it's, it's not really about the learning or the education anymore. And then the, the, each university has like a specific agenda that they're preparing their students for. Like at the University of Arizona, they have a lot of partnerships uh, with government, like FBI and so on, Department of Defense, so on and so forth. Um, so it also makes you wonder like, well, what is their agenda and the way that they present this information to you? I had actually wrote, um, uh, I, I took this one cyber ethics course once and uh, that was like another thing that made me realize like how flawed the education system actually is. Um, uh, I challenged the notion that Edward Snowden uh, is a criminal and that he did anything wrong. And the instructor happened to work for uh, the Department of Defense in the past and uh, basically refuted many of like, or tried to refute many of the uh, points that I made. And then I continued to challenge him further until he ultimately just stopped responding to me and wouldn't even acknowledge any of my additional points. So then, yeah, I kind of paused there, but that, that, that's kind of what I, what I think. They are, um, they're woke training grounds, my friend, which you have to pay for. Yeah, indeed it's i mean your point about you know learning anything that you want from youtube this is what sailor is doing michael sailor is trying to do with sailor academy and um yeah like physics for example you can go on youtube and find some of richard Feynman's lectures original lectures that he gave uh, you know in grainy black and white and sometimes but some dude had filmed them back in the day and now they're up on the internet and you can literally 
be sat in your home, but at the same time in the lecture hall, listening to Feynman. And this is what Saylor was talking about. He's got some of his original lectures that he sat at MIT uploaded to Saylor Academy. It's all there. It's free. You don't need to go. You can get the original content. And the, the, uh, but the thing is, this is where people get so stuck. They're dying for that certificate. That's all they want. So this is, you know, we have regulatory capture across many different parts of the business world. And, you know, it, it, it's in the education world as well. You know, certificatory capture, if you like. People have been forced to believe that they cannot do anything unless they have a specific certificate. In some cases, it is true, but in most cases, it is not. But as well, we have this social construct around us that little Jimmy has to go to college and he's got to, you know, especially in the US, it's so oity-toity that you've got to go to the, you know, the red brick Ivy League. Uh, and in the, in the UK, of course, it's got to be Oxbridge. It's, it's got to be either Oxford or Cambridge. If not, it's got to be one of the, the, you know, the better well-known and it's got to be for a decent degree, you know. But now, Leeds University are doing a two-year MA course in gender studies. <laughs> what, 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 it's such a mockery. Like, the, the whole thing is so see-through, unbroken, and harmful. It literally, as I said at the beginning, it, it destroys people. It destroys kids. It takes kids from the age of five in, in the UK, earlier in other countries, three in France, away from the family, eight hours a day, five days a week. Indoctrination is all that's happening, not education. And I, I've, what, what's, what's really, really sick is the teachers that are there especially the primary school teachers that believe they're, you know, uh, mentoring children and doing uh, good things um, are just stuck in the system and are probably blinded by narratives and don't understand, will never understand the, the damage that they're, they're going to be doing to kids, especially if you are one of those teachers that is asking kids to, to write down on a scale of one to 10, how much they think they're a boy or a girl at the age of seven or eight. You know, it's, it's incredible. Just an anecdotal story. Um, friends of ours uh, were saying the other day that the, their son took in, a, I don't know, found a feather or an acorn or something, whatever the story is, into class to show the teacher and ask the teacher if he could do a little show and tell about this because he found it really interesting. But because he wasn't at a certain level of good behavior, he didn't have the privileges to show and tell. This is what we're doing wow. to six-year-old kids, ladies and gentlemen. Preparing them for social credit. Yeah. What, what are the mental gymnastics that that primary school teacher has to go through to actually believe that's good behavior towards a six-year-old kid that has come into the classroom with something they have been inspired by and learned about and want to show with their friends? What, what do you need to tell yourself to shut that kid down? It makes me so angry. I don't know. I can't even fathom that. Yeah, that's horrible. And I experienced that a lot growing up. Like, you're just not allowed to question authority, especially in academia. 
You have to abide by their rules or you'll get, you'll fail your grade. You'll get, you'll get sent to detention or RTC as they call it um, uh, at the schools that I went to and you'll be punished by it. You'll be suspended for it. Um, you'll be kicked out of class for it. And then you'll, because like the class moves at its own pace and not the individual's pace, you lose out on valuable information. So then it's like a reinforcing cycle because now you've missed two days of class, you're in a completely different place that the other class or the remainder of the class is in, is in for that given subject. And it's just like self-reinforcing because now you're not able to ask like the questions that you need to ask. You don't have the material that you need to know. Um, and there's, it's very difficult to, to get caught up. So I can't, I can't fathom one, like why someone would do that to like a six or seven year old that is just curious and trying to learn and understand things and share what they've discovered with the class, let alone like the repercussions that they likely face because of it. Like, I'm sure that was just one instance of, mm -hmm. um, of repercussion that the teacher enforced. Yeah, everybody, I'm sure, has their own little stories and anecdotes or maybe even flashbacks. And it's not until you, even as adults, right? You know, I sit here as 46. I carry all the baggage of those 15 to 18 years, however long I spent in, that, in those institutions, as does everybody else around me. Uh, they really did a number on us, man. It, it is really, really bad, Definitely. the conditioning. And that is why I'm such a strong proponent for you know getting out of state education and trying to find a different route and this is why you and i are connected uh and i want to learn more about emeralize so what have you done what have you built what what can the plebs um look forward to yeah so so far what i've built is an e-learning platform it features a marketplace of free and paid resources uh, resources are like single pieces of content. You can think of them like blogs, videos, uh, audio, or a combination, like text, or a combination of all three or uh, whatever. Um, with resources, after you post them, you can assemble courses. So assembling, I specifically aim to make it as easy as possible to create resources such that anyone can do it, no matter what their technical skills are, as like a very easy and simple to use editor. To assemble your resources. Once you have resources, you can assemble them into courses. So you can order them like one through however many that you have. So one through X, so you can have two, three, 10, however many that you'd like. And um, you can save them. And then the course is available to view on the marketplace. You can also add price. Everything's priced in sats. Um, there's no fiat integrations whatsoever. It's all just Bitcoin. Uh, and it uses the Lightning Network. Um, so now that we've talked about kind of the marketplace and how it relates to like creating resources and courses and what those those are and what the, what it means, um, users can discover them on the marketplace and make purchases, paying bulk eleven invoices. Uh, so really simple and easy to use flow, especially with something like the Zebedee browser extension, which makes e-commerce on browsers super easy. Then, like if it's like a free resource or like a value to value resource. Uh, you can, and on anything, actually, you can earn tips. So you can essentially select uh, the amount that you would like to tip uh, the creator of the resource or course and go pay an invoice and then it credits them on the opposite side. Um, and then when you hit a certain threshold of earnings, 
uh, you can have it automatically withdrawn to a Lightning address. So it'll just fire a payment through Lightning address after you reach 100 cents. Um, so then you can take nearly all the custodial risk off of the platform without incurring like very small uh, like or high network fees on small transactions. If people are pricing resources at like 10 cents or 100 cents, uh, you don't really have to worry about like the economics of it nearly as much. Uh, so that's kind of what it looks like from a creator perspective. You can post free things, you can post paid things, and paywall them, you can earn tips, and you get like a social profile page. So then you can send users to this, your own social profile page that has links to your other socials, along with all of your resources and courses available there. Um, as a learner, when you buy a, re a paid resource or a paid course, you're able to earn um, small amounts of Bitcoin back. And right now I have it set to one sat as a reward because I'm not sure um, you know, what the average price will be on a given resource. Maybe I'll give it a percentage over a certain threshold. Um, and it also, I don't have to worry about like bot issues if it's on free resources and people create bots and you know, they try to get free sats uh, on everything. So that's kind of the idea is that uh, when, you're, when you pay for something, now you actually have an incentive to complete it and earn sats back. Uh, so then you go through like the the full course uh, or full resource. So yeah, that's a that's pretty much like a brief overview of Emeraldize and what the capabilities are, what you can do with it on the learner side and the creator side. And what about uh, say there's the the high school teacher out there that that's trying to exit their their fiat role in any way they can? Can they sign up to be kind of like a a hired? one-on-one -on -one tutor or something like that it... yeah this is not a feature in the platform just yet but this is something i'm thinking a lot about and this is actually um related to like my philosophy on education in general with MOOCs, you know you you have the ability to learn on your own and that's fantastic you can go at your own pace but all of us get get stuck including my, uh, myself i've gotten stuck at different points in time so i imagine i would like to make some partnerships or relationships with coaches and other teachers that want to, their, their job is not to instruct anymore, but actually to enable the students to, to succeed, to motivate them, to help them grow. And it's more focused on like a growth mindset rather than um, grading and instruction, like giving commands to the student. Um, instead, it's about analyzing where they may be stuck, asking questions and unblocking them and enabling them to succeed. So I definitely have a feature on the roadmap to enable like live instruction, which you can do uh, by paywalling a resource um, and linking to like a Zoom chat like this one. Uh, and then if you wish to like be hired as like a tutor, I can definitely open up a feature where if you say that you're open to tutoring opportunities, you can list these subjects. And then now you can be listed on almost like a, a separate marketplace, like a separate page to show this person, person X is uh, tutoring for subject Y and their rate is Z Satoshis. Mate, this is awesome. Have you got any use cases yet? Uh, or is this brand new, just just pressed send and waiting for people to come and use it? Uh, the, the platform in general? Yeah. Yeah, I have some use cases for it. So I myself am, uh, am a big proponent of free and open education, uh, especially with my background and pretty much learning everything I know from the internet. Uh, and, and family, of course, but yeah, I, I built a lightning course uh, by Zebedee. So I designed and developed it. I've been shipping free education over the last year. Um, and I've done that strategically to develop like a high level 
overview of Lightning LN URL 101, designing a Lightning paywall. Uh, and then I'm going to do like building a Lightning paywall with uh, Python and Django. Uh, and then I have some other interesting courses like Bitcoin Light or not courses, videos that are part of the course, like uh, Bitcoin Lightning wallets, some of the trade offs, what they can do, how to use them. Uh, and then I'm going to add one for like, like Open Bitcoin Wallet, um, uh, a fork of SBW that ND, NBD, no big deal, our open source arm at, at Zebedee has developed. I'm going to do like a resource on that. So it's like very practical usage. Um, and there's a few other things like Lightning for Creators and Evolution of Lightning Payments that I've done. Uh, and I'm going to launch the, the platform with this course uh, that will give you an incentive to complete it. And I've had a few other creators that are interested in. Uh, posting their courses on there, which are very much so centered around um, Bitcoin as like, like protocol development or engineering, as well as like high level uh, Bitcoin courses, uh, like the why, the what, and the how of Bitcoin at a high level. And then uh, like other engineering kind of tech, technology courses. And then of course, uh, I would love if Canute also posts his uh, economics and philosophy courses on there. I see like, a way of building towards like over the short to midterm, almost like to teach the philosophy and economics, which is kind of forms the tech, the software design and the technology uh, of Bitcoin. And then getting in from the technology kind of forms like the, uh, the so like then the application layer, like how you build applications using Bitcoin and then getting into um, the technology piece of Bitcoin, like actually building these applications. So that's kind of like what my focus is, is kind of enabling those things. And then maybe like a social course, like how do you get involved with Bitcoin? I'm very much so a fan of like Stefan Levera's course on uh, Sailors University, um, something like that, that actually teaches you like how things work socially after you kind of learn the, uh, the philosophy and economics, the software design and the principles behind it, and then the technology stack for both the protocol and building applications, then getting into the social layer. Like, how do you spread the word? Like, where do you get involved? Like, how do you start uh, for people that are not like actively engaged in the space as it stands? And I think Seth Rivera did actually an excellent job of this in uh, his course, which I, I, I completed. Right. Okay. And, and that's the biggest sticking point I've ever found. Uh, and I've spoke to Another guy, Alvaro San Martin, who's been on the show, who's done a lot of work with uh, Cubrio. He he owns Minds Studio. Um, I, I'm going to have to connect you guys because you just get on like a house on fire. He's <laughs> he he you know he always says like engagement is always the hardest thing. It's it's easy to start a course, but easier to drop out two or three videos in, like you lose interest or you the, the, it, and how do you incentivize someone i guess that's the trick of the certificate uh that's that's where they you know in the in the legacy system they hold that carrot carrot they dangle the carrot of the certificate over your head so not only are you paying a lot of money uh to do the course but if you drop out you won't get the certificate uh how do you kind of think about incentivizing people to go to stick with it, you know, uh, and get to the end course to to get the most out of the the content that they're they're learning from. The beautiful thing, and this is kind of why I say it's like Substack and Udemy meets uh, Lightning Network as like kind of a tagline for Emeralize is that you can buy individual resources and complete them. So if you're not interested in the full course, you can buy whatever it is that you need and whatever it is that you want. 
from the course. That's kind of like part of the vision there. But I think in terms of incentivizing completion, Bitcoin back on completing resources and courses is a far stronger incentive. Like looking at Duolingo, like you can infuse elements of animation, sound, motion to like give people a great feeling when they do something that like, like complete a lesson or finish a quiz and score well. But I think what's even more strong will be giving money back. And I think this will drive that my hypothesis with MRLIs is that it will drive completion rates, especially as we increase the reward amounts, possibly look at instead of scholarships, we can look at sponsorships. So it's no longer by these nonprofits that can donate. It can be anyone. It can be a, like any club that wants to donate uh, some money towards sponsorships, one to either purchase a course very similar to like what Coursera did in the 30 days um, and also giving rewards back on completion of paid resources as well maybe like five percent back uh, if if you complete the course you get five point percent at a at a high uh, and then the point goes dramatically up and you're able to turn 5% back. I think that'll also drive a lot of completion and engagement. Uh, whoops. Yeah, we just dropped out. Uh, uh, use Bitcoin as a way of incentivizing their, 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 uh, their, their completion of a particular resource or course. Yeah, we, we it was it was breaking up a little bit there, but uh, I'm not sure if that's my side or your side. I think it's my side. I don't know what's going on today. That's annoying. Um, yeah. So that, that, I, I think that's an awesome idea. Is there an? I'm just wondering now if if somebody comes to the site and they want to do a course. Um, Maybe they post, I don't know, like 10,000 sats or something or 100,000 sats. It's got to be a, a certain amount, right? But you get those sats returned to you with a little bit of interest uh, because then that's going to stop the, the bots, I suppose, coming in, just trying to earn free sats. You know, there's got to be skin in the game from the player in the first place, but on the understanding that if you lock these sats up with, uh, with, with the platform, you will earn them back with interest over time. Is that is is that the kind of thinking as well? I think the wager concept is pretty interesting. Um, I, I I don't know if paying interest would be viable, only because then I would have to think. Well, like how do I continue to earn enough mm -hmm. interest to like satisfy like all of the liabilities that I have? Um, so I think as like a platform, I'm not sure about paying interest, but I think in terms of like wagering or locking in sats to prove completion, that could be a very useful mechanism. Duolingo has something very similar to this mm -hmm. with their streaks concept. And now we're just taking the streak concept and maintaining the streak concept and adding in money to it, which I think is a fascinating way because then you're essentially make, making a bet on yourself uh, that you're going to complete this. And otherwise you, you, you otherwise would risk loss of those funds. Maybe they go towards like sponsorships or something along those lines to help someone else uh, that may not may not be able to afford the education. 
um, that someone's providing to be able to get access to that or to go to rewards more generally. But right now, the way that rewards and like incentivizing learning is implemented is that whenever you make a paid uh, purchase on a resource, you can now earn uh, Satoshi back and I can increase these rewards or modify them um, as I kind of develop and understand the economics a bit better. But for the beta, I'm going to keep it probably at like one sat or 10 sats mm -hmm. uh, to ensure that there's no, no kind of bot behavior. Because then you, the price, if a price of a resource is 100 sats and then you're earning 10 sats back on a resource, then like you're still spending and losing 90 sats. Or you're not losing it, but you're, you're making a purchase uh, where like if you were trying to bot it, you would be spending 90 sats to gain 10 sats, which doesn't make sense. Uh, so the game theory incentives are there. And that's kind of how I designed the application to mitigate uh, any bot behavior and any risk of, of funds lost there. And then I come up with the concept of, of like emeraldized um, like power user where maybe you're not a creator, but you're a power user of the platform. You could pay like a thousand sats for lifetime access. And now you get access to comments. So then you're improving like questions and signal. Uh, whereas like if you're not charging for comments, one, you can get bot spam from that uh, and diluted information from it. So now if people are paying for the ability to comment and rate and review courses and resources, then the my, my hypothesis is that it's going to increase the quality of like all the social stuff in the application as well. Uh, and then I could like double or triple rewards from that too. Uh, so then I could know more definitively that I could likely catch someone that's a bot before they earn back all of the original cost of the power user costs, like MRLIs Pro or something along those lines. And then to also mitigate like diluted content, I'll uh, paywall creator. So then you could pay like 25,000, some affordable price, but that kind of puts skin in the game at like 25,000 or 50,000 sats uh, to unlock it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be dedicated to actually producing high quality content. And I need to out earn the initial investment that I made. So that's kind of my, my thinking and reasoning as it relates to reward incentivization and creating, et cetera. Is there a, um, is there a business model that uh, you, you're kind of thinking, is this for-profit, not-for-profit, trying to still figure it out, just want to build a, build a platform to create um, a, a space where uh, creators can connect with learners, uh, take some fee in the middle? What, what, what's going through your mind with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I want to make it a private for-profit company because I think if people are willing to pay, that means that there's value there. And without that signal of value and willingness to pay, then you don't know if something that you're building is actually useful. Like, does it actually have utility? So that's kind of my thinking uh, as a capitalist myself. I'm going to charge a 2% platform fee. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, like I use, I built this using Zebedee, uh, the Zebedee platform, uh, to, so I don't have to really worry about the Lightning infrastructure management piece, and I can use APIs instead, and I can focus on being an educational technology, uh, which is really my aim: is to be an educational technology, not so much a Bitcoin Lightning company. I'm only going to use Bitcoin and Lightning. But I'm more focused on developing like better learning management system next. And the reason why I started with a marketplace is because one, that generates revenue. And if it, I'm generating revenue, that means that creators are generating revenue and they're making money. Uh, and that's really what some of my like success metrics are is like how many creators are there? How many tips are they earning? 
how much revenue are they generating? Uh, is it useful for them? And that signal to me that I'm providing value and I'm enabling more uh, creators to earn and that there's something useful here. And if there's adoption, my goal is to build like a comprehensive learning management system like Khan Academy. I'd originally thought about building a learning management system first, but I realized, well, if there's not anyone actually using it, and if it's not actually profitable, there's no way to sustain this. Um, so then starting with the revenue piece first makes more sense, which is the marketplace. Then moving on now, after the marketplace kind of reaches maturity for discoverability, showing creators and kind of iterating on that more and making it better for creators and discovering useful educational content, I'll move on to the learning management system and make that ideally as good as Khan Academy, if not better in terms of capabilities and feedback to the user or the learner in this case. At this stage, for any of the plebs listening and are interested in a fired up, what can they do to help? Uh, they can reach out to me. They can go to emeraldize.com and they can uh, send their email to me. And then I, I'm going to give creator to everyone that's on uh, early access. They're not going to pay 25,000 or 50,000 cents. Uh, they'll get onboarded for free. I'll be happy to do some webinars and teach them how to go about using it, answering their questions, kind of the philosophy uh, behind Emeraldize. Uh, and kind of give them a white glove onboarding experience. Um, yeah, so that would be like how I would suggest getting involved. And then when we officially open the platform for learners on January 3rd, then going on uh, and purchasing content, providing feedback, telling me, you know, this thing sucks, improve it, because that's really what I want to know. I'm a product builder at the end of the day. Um, I want to know what's not, what's kind of difficult to use and what I can improve. And then if something is great and telling me also like, hey, this is a really wonderful uh, feature, like keep this the same, don't, don't modify this. So in general, feedback is very useful from anyone. Uh, I wanna know what's great, what's good and what needs to be improved. As a product builder, I want that user feedback. Then going on, making purchases, doing tips, um, creating your own content, reaching out to me to get onboarded to to the creator functionality for free. These are all things you can do that would help uh, one, drive the adoption of the platform. And then in general, like just sharing the word, yeah, posting about it, you know, uh, that all that good stuff. That would be my, my suggestion. All right, man. Do, do, you, do you see this for being for all ages from, from you know, kids all the way up to adults? Uh, I'm just thinking of like uh, me primaire Bitcoin, for example. Um, that they've got their, their kind of high school uh, course. Yeah, I think this could be for all ages and languages. The When I had set out um, to build this initially, when it was just very much so an idea, I had thought about adding in uh, like properties for a profile. So you could do like a drop down to select which languages you speak, you're interested in seeing content in as well as like what age range uh, you're interested in seeing content. And then on the office side for creator, being able to flag which age range uh, your content is intended for. And then maybe it's for all, maybe all age groups, or it could be for a specific age group and age range. But I didn't want to build all these features in the very beginning for the MVP. Uh, because one, that's a lot of complex development work. And then two, uh, I want to ensure that people use it before I spend more time 
kind of developing and building all these features out. And if no one uses it, then it's kind of like I just um, didn't didn't allocate my time and resources correctly. So as adoption grows and more con different types of content are posted or if there are feature requests, I'm very receptive. All the people that have helped me QA and given me feedback so far, I'm sure can vouch that I take their feedback very seriously and I've implemented their feedback uh, to, to the best of my ability and making the platform better and better. So uh, submitting feature requests, telling me what's needed, what, what isn't there, what isn't good, so that I can add it and improve it is all key parts of building a, a great and fantastic product that works for educators across the board. But I don't want to make any assumptions or uh, malallocate my time. And it could be any subject, right? So I'm just thinking any high school teacher out there, uh, Matt, you know who you are. If you want to put out uh, some kind of, uh, I don't know, introduction to uh, algebra, whatever, it doesn't, it's not all about Bitcoin, right? It could be anything. But as long as you're, you're happy to put out the content and you're going to receive sats via the Lightning Network, all is good. Absolutely. That is 100% correct is that I, my, my dream eventually is to have like all sorts of different subject matter available on the platform such that like a, a student of any age can go on there and find what it is that they're looking for. Pretty much like YouTube without the poor um, recommendation engine that might re refer you to something that isn't relevant to like the subject matter that you're learning. As an example, you could be watching a video on uh, like the Pythagorean theorem, and then you get referred to a music video as the next video. I don't want any of that like referral. I want it to be completely based on education and very explorative. And there could even be a feature for discovery of new sort of subjects. So then if you're like in between learning different subjects, you can say, ah, just show me like um, a playlist of different random educational videos that are available for free. Then you can get discovered as a creator and then find the next thing that you want to learn or go down the rabbit hole deeper, so to speak. So I, I would really like this to be like completely open um, for all subjects, for all languages. Um, yeah, that's kind of what my, my vision is. And I also see an opportunity of building almost like a new sort of like Renaissance man degree, like new liberal arts degree, but basing it on the foundations and principles of Bitcoin, like getting into, like we were talking about earlier, mathematics, language, um, computer science, and then getting specialized in um, cryptography and learning a bit about that. And along with the Austrian economics and getting into philosophy, that's really like how I went down my rabbit hole and how my wife has also gone down her rabbit hole. And it's been very useful to develop like a base uh, understanding of the world and being able to like interact with things that are valuable or pursue what it is that you love. So that's kind of what my dream is, is to build something like that. And it involves like many different subjects, you know, uh, many of which I didn't, I didn't even list there, but I'm sure you get, you get the general principle or idea. Absolutely. And talking of your descent down the rabbit hole, do you remember any particular epiphany or day that you just suddenly woke up and you're like, ah, oh, I get it. Bitcoin fixes that. Hmm. I feel like it's just been like a gradual thing. Um, as I think more, like I, I grew up in the era of like where torrenting was like a pretty big thing and fighting like um, the, the different like Hollywood and record label companies online for like the sharing of software, sharing of movies and music. 
Um, and I saw that those things won and they, they actually beat these huge, you know, profitable multi-million dollar businesses. These protocols won and these individuals won. And that gave me like huge amounts of faith for Bitcoin in terms of winning because of the way that it was like discovered, put out in the world and the way that the growth was fostered and the way that it's been built. So that was like one really big epiphany for me. And I didn't understand it. I mean, I obviously um, am very appreciative because I gained enough security as an individual to be able to quit my job in 2016 after purchasing Bitcoin and saving in Bitcoin, but I did not understand it as a savings technology at the time. The, the other epiphany was definitely reading like the Bitcoin standard and actually really understanding money and understanding Bitcoin as a superior mo monetary technology uh, for savings. And then now understanding it as a superior technology for payments. I've learned pretty much all of the, the advantages and disadvantages, all the KPIs for payments. And then I realized, well, Bitcoin with Lightning Network essentially is better at fulfilling all of these KPIs or increasing these KPIs, like optimizing rather is a better word, optimizing all of these uh, KPIs than any other payment technology ever created. And actually my hypothesis is that if more people spend and earn Bitcoin directly, that the cost of everything will become dramatically cheaper because now you don't have, you know, 3% plus 30 cents uh, in, in between every single e-commerce transaction or 3% plus 10 cents for every physical um, transaction. So merchants can either like price their goods to be significantly cheaper to outcompete the competition and drive down price lower to gain a comparative advantage, or uh, they can they can keep the price the same and have bigger uh, margins where they can reinvest in R and D or pay their employees better to have like better retainment of staff. There's all kinds of different strategies that you, that I think like paying with Lightning, earning with Lightning directly enables, and then obviously like it enables new monetization opportunities too, because if you're charging $1 for something and you're paying 33 cents on it, that's not really economically feasible or scalable. Whereas like if you're paying $1 and you're paying 1%, or if you're even running your own infrastructure paying near zero on every single transaction, then that's like enabling many new forms of transacting that you couldn't really have before. So I see like, yeah, that I hope that answers the question and kind of, um, explains yeah. kind of yeah yeah for sure uh you know it's a it's an individual journey and everybody you know realizes different things at different times uh should we geek out on your esports career for a little bit i'd love to sure. learn i'd love to learn a little bit about that you know it's a world i've never ever been exposed to not even really on television um or watch that can you explain to me uh, you know, what goes on? How, how did this, how do you get to these finals? And, you know, what was that experience like once you're there? It's pretty intense. Um, I think like at the beginning of esports, you start playing kind of casually with your friends and you develop like almost like a social network within the game itself. And then you keep leveling up, you get to like higher, um, you reach like the maximum level and then it's more about like grind like at least in the case for world of warcraft it's about grinding for for gear so once you have all of your gear you can kind of be on the same level as everyone else and it becomes very much so about strategy and like communication uh being able to communicate like what it is that you're like facing at that moment in time what you're planning for the future like different things that you're expecting to happen in the game so it's very much so like, like if then 
if this, then this uh, kind of thinking and being able to communicate and do all of those things together as a team. Uh, in World of Warcraft, it was predominantly like 2v2 and 3v3. So you have like a lot of reliance on your teammate to do what they they need to do and at the right time and almost kind of like knowing what each other is going to do before you know or before that you actually know what each other is going to do. Uh, that's kind of how you reach the top levels. Uh, for a while, I was playing like 12 or 14 hours a day because I was just so, uh, I, I just loved it so much and I just enjoyed like the amount of challenge that it offered. But then again, there's also like um, the aspect of like wanting to win so bad that could be uh, quite intense at times. So, like if you do lose like an important match, you know, it's you take it to heart. Like it's it's very tangible, like your reputation, your rating uh, in competition. And then when you actually start competing, so then you can kind of reach like top tier levels in the game itself in terms of like competition and esports. You can get into streaming. At the time, streaming wasn't too big when I was playing and that was like one of the products that we built at Zebedee, Zebedee Streamer, uh, which enables like now like esports players, entertainers to like throw a QR code on, uh, plug it into like any streaming broadcasting software and to begin earning money off of it. Um, people tipping you, et cetera. Now we've also developed like these other bots for like Discord where you can type one command and re-engage your audience to like send them a bunch of sats back so they keep coming back uh, as well and engaging with you. So now there's ways to earn as like an esports player streaming. Now there's ways to earn as an entertainer. Those are kind of like the aspects of esports. And when you get to land centers, um, it's a completely different setting. Actually, it's very difficult to compete at lands when you're first getting into it because you're in a completely different environment. You're not at home with your keyboard, your computer, your monitor, your headphones. You're around like a bunch of random people, a bunch of different noise. The temperature may not be what you want it to be. You might end up being cold or too hot. So you have to like adapt to that whole new environment and kind of go on from there. You have like a whole new set of challenges and you can get into games like StarCraft, which you move away from the team element, but all about individual strategy and accountability, which is kind of what I did. And that I wanted to like be fully accountable for my own strategy. And that also involved like losing 10,000 times before I actually won my first match because the game is such a high skill cap. Um, so it requires, it requires you to be quite humble and kind of remove your ego, um, in order to be able to get good at these like real-time strategy games and continue to improve. So I think there's like a lot that individuals can learn, uh, from playing games as well as like new different game modes that can be created, new ways that Bitcoin and the Lightning Network can power esports and enable like more people to be able to do this like more often. If it wasn't for my mom telling me I needed to get a job and, you know, make money, I probably would have continued uh, competing in esports. And now I think with the Lightning Network and having a, like money that's perfect for the internet, we're going to be able to enable more people to do what it is that they love, whether it be like creating content online, like educational content, streaming their matches, casting games, being a pro player in gaming, so on and so forth. I think Bitcoin kind of enables all of this. And it fixes like a lot of the barriers to entry that were previously there. I hope so, because I, I see my son falling down the rabbit hole of gaming and it's like, you know, I believe him spending two or three hours a day playing on these games is far too long. And, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I hear you say 12 to 14 hours a day. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, that's a lot of time. Uh, and I've heard Guy Swan actually talk about his his previous gaming days uh, and i'm not exactly sure which game 
um, he mentioned. Uh, but it, like I say, it's not a world. I, I grew up playing Sega Mega Drives, like uh, you know, everybody else did. That was um, born around the same kind of time as me. But they never got. It was that interconnectedness that was missing, right? Uh, you, you couldn't. I couldn't switch my machine on and be playing with a friend of mine, uh, even in the same neighborhood, let alone halfway around the world. Uh, you know, I get it. I, I, I can see the attraction here. And if you're working, if you're working together or as part of a team, trying to solve uh, you know, strategies and stuff, it's addictive as all hell. Uh, you know, did 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 you ever win? Can you make money? Can do, do people make a, a a living from you know just gaming and reaching finals? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, even with Zebedee, uh, we have a product called CS:GO Infuse, where many people in Brazil uh, were earning enough money to pay different bills, like their cell phone bills, their electricity bills. Um, purchase like mice and keyboards that they wouldn't have been able uh, to otherwise afford. So like I, we already see Bitcoin like as a huge potential for esports. Prior to this, you kind of had to be the upper echelons uh, to be able to make money. I mean, you could stream now on like uh, on Twitch TV and make money off of your audience and people donating to you, so on and so forth. But you also have to be a top streamer in order to make enough money to sustain yourself. The same is true for like competitive or pro gaming. You have to be really good, like the top 0.01% of like players to be able to make money off of competition. You can make small amounts of money going to like local tournaments and playing on tournaments online, but it definitely is not enough to sustain you. And I think Bitcoin will actually enable more people to do so for the reasons that we kind of talked about earlier. So yeah, it's pretty much like you got to be 0.01 or 0.1% of like top talent whether either in entertainment, casting, or um, as a pro player to make money in the like kind of the old system without Bitcoin. But now with Bitcoin, we can dramatically lower the barrier to entries, enable more tournament pay-ins and payouts um, for more people to compete and to build like a career around this, whether you're an entertainer, a caster, or um, a pro or like a competitive like mid-level gamer. And I, I played in a few, quite a few tournaments. I I ended up beating like uh, EG, one of the players in EG, and then I subsequently lost to like their top player, EG Idra, at the time. That I was just so nervous, and uh, I just didn't even remotely play correctly. So, yeah, uh, I've, I've played in many different tournaments online for StarCraft, uh, World of Warcraft, and um, Counter-Strike Source. But back in the days of Source, there really was not a way to make like a lot of like even enough money. We're talking like 30,000 at the time to really like sustain yourself. But with, with uh, Twitch TV taken off, that actually enabled like a lot more people to be able to do so. But there's still a long road to go. It blows my it mind. It blows my mind. I see my kids, sometimes they're watching, they're just watching some YouTube channel of some dude playing a game that they've never even played, they've never even seen, that they don't even have access to. Uh, what are you doing? Are we watching this guy play the game? What? You're watching someone else play a game that you can't even play because you don't even have that particular, like a PlayStation game, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand it. And this, this, this guy might have tens of millions of views. It's like, oh my God. All you've got to do is screen record and talk people through the game you're playing and you're going to get that many hits. 
Yeah, pretty much. I think, uh, you know, a lot goes into it for like marketing and being uh, entertaining and all that great stuff. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There's like a whole market for entertainment as it relates to games, just like people watch, you know, football um, or basketball, even though they don't, they may not even play themselves anymore or have any real like investment in the team. They'll still watch and watch the game and play. It gives people things to talk about. It gives you some like interesting insight into different games, maybe whether or not you want to play, or maybe you just find that streamer really funny or really, you know, like great person and you want to support them any way that you can. It's kind of like the way that I look at like watching other people play games back in my era. Um, streaming like I'm like I'm old now or something, but <laughs> it, it streaming back then was about competitive play and watching pros play. There was actually like no microphone. There's no webcam. You'd just be watching like someone play play a match and just trying to observe their strategies and pick up things from them to like play better back in those days. No, I actually was one of those streamers and wow, I used to get a few thousand views back in the day <laughs> playing uh, playing arena tournament. That's uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm way out of my depth on this one, but uh, I, I see the effect it's having on my kids, and it's pretty interesting. And yeah, I I I just hope that uh, you know they um they find their way through it, they navigate it, and they get some some very good valuable lessons out of it and life skills uh, because uh, you know we learn by doing right and if you are in, invested in something and inspired by something you, you can't switch the learning off 100% agree I, I think like if I didn't go down the path of gaming any sports that I went down I would not be the same person speaking to you today mm. and it was after like multiple people told me I couldn't do it which only made me want to do it more <laughs> you know yeah. Uh, so yeah I think you can learn some super valuable things uh, in terms of learning thinking on the fly, iterating on strategy and thinking, trying different things out, experimenting and seeing how it affects like the, the outcome of a match. Like these are all things that may be insignificant, you know, at a bird's eye view, but as an individual learner and like a developing mind, those things like teach you that you can break down barriers. You can move past them. You can grow past them and you can cooperate with others to, to change the outcome. And I think those are all like super important things to learn about life. All right. Well, I got to ask you the final question. Okay. If you had one last orange pill to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Mm. It, living or passed away? There's no right answer or wrong answer. You can choose however you want to do it. Okay. I would give uh, the orange pill to R. Buckminster Fuller. Uh, he's the author of probably my favorite book of all time. Uh, the, uh, it's called critical path. And, uh, he even describes an energy based money as well as like a new educational model, much of which I based and relies on. Um, so yeah, he's, he's one of my, uh, I guess, I guess, you, I guess you could say mentors for lack of a better term, someone that I've read their, their books and very much so look up to and respect in, in many regards. And I think if we could have Bucky on our side, uh, Bitcoin that would only facilitate innovation and adoption that much further. Mate, great, great shout. The, the, what's the name of the book? The Critical Path, did you say? Correct. Yeah, Critical Path. All right. I got to pick that up. I'm going to have to read that now. Uh, so nice I suggestion. I think you would love it. Uh, he, he was someone that was kicked out of Harvard 
And mm -hmm. uh, he ended up having to uh, create a bunch of different technological innovations uh, and patents to be able to develop his proof of work instead of credentialism. And this was back in like between the 40s and 60s, uh, 40s and 70s. So uh, he's a great person to, to look to. Exactly what we were talking about at the beginning, that credentialism. All right. Yeah, yes. I'm, I'm going to pick that up, man. Well, is there anything we did not cover that you, you wanted to make sure that uh, you, know, you, you got out on the pod this evening? I think we did an awesome job. I mean, this was really fantastic conversation. I just really appreciate you having me on. You want to connect with me on Twitter, you can find me at 5 Antos Hernandez. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Uh, it's been great to to do this and to interact with you in the DMs. I'm very much looking forward to see where Emeralize goes. And now we, we're we pushing it out to, to the plebs. You never know where they're going to take it. It's very exciting times. I love it at this point when you're just launching something out there and trying to get the word out there because people will find it and uh, they'll come up with the incredible ways to use it and you, you end up being pulled in different directions you know, directions you never expected to be pulled in. So get ready, man. 2023 is going to be crazy for you. Very excited and very much so appreciate all the love from the community. And I appreciate all the, the, the plebs and Bitcoiners out there um, for all the support, the, the support that I've already received and all the future support. Very much so uh, intrigued to hear what everyone else uh, thinks once we fully open it up. All right, man. Well, take care and I'll speak again to you soon. Thanks for having me on, friends. Peace. See you, brother. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed that rip with Santos. Thank you again for everything you are doing, my friend, to build this educational platform. It's already up and running if you guys want to go and find it. And Canute himself is going to put on a praxeology course there. So... The plebs are coming. This is already happening, and we can all start learning in in a better way. It just this is the tip of the iceberg. This is where education has to go. It has to be self-directed, rather than being forced to sit in a boxed classroom with 30 other people who do not want to be there. That is not a learning environment. That never has been, never will be. It's over. Can we please just end the state education project? It is just crippling kids. It's really, honestly, truly disgusting. Anyway, you've heard me talk about that before, and I will keep talking about it. Many, many more pods to come on that subject. Uh, Santos, you're doing great work. Thank you so much. If you guys want to reach out to him, go hit him up on Twitter. If there's any ideas you want to throw at him, if there's any courses you want to put up there, this is your time. This is your time to start earning sats and giving back to the community. I'm sure somebody listening listening to this is able to help or be rewarded in some way. So yeah, go find him. Thank you everybody for listening, sharing, liking, subscribing, whatever it is you do. That is um, very much appreciated. The, the show now has been going for two years. So many great things have happened. 
far too many to uh, to talk about. And going into 23, I'm very, very bullish on Bitcoiners. I don't need to be bullish on Bitcoin. That's just going to do what it's going to do what it does. Honey Badger doesn't care. I'm bullish on the people who are building projects and everybody getting to meet each other. Make sure you've signed up to Orange Pill app because there might be a Bitcoiner just the next town away from you that is dying to hang out and talk about projects. That's what Orange Pill app is all about. Android comes soon. It is a paid app and you can use Lightning to pay for it and you can find Bitcoiners and you will be happy. Also, Stack, you know where to stack now if you're in the US, Swamp Bitcoin, across UK and Europe, Relay and Coin Corner. I forgot to mention Hodl Hodl at the beginning of this because that is <laughs> that is such an important platform peer to peer kyc free sats go to hodlhodl.com forward slash bitten you will save on commissions there that is a global trading platform you can swap any currency you want and get some bitcoin kyc free make sure you're stacking safe use coinjoin if you want wasabi wallet but please make sure you're using a hardware wallet and shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bit and have the bitbox 02 bitcoin only edition hit up my link tree it's in the show notes there's a bunch of pleb companies there that wants to give you discounts just reach out to them use the codes where necessary and uh, enjoy 2023 guys thanks for listening